believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. now tonight with Ruth, when we come to this book, the very beginning tells us the very first verse that it is in the time of judges. So we're not really out of judges. We're in overtime now. But this is a really good overtime. And everything about Ruth has a happy ending. So let's just put that right there. This book has a very happy ending. I didn't like, if you didn't like the ending of judges, neither did I. Right? But Ruth has a very happy ending. And because it's in the time of Judges, it just reminds us that it's not what's going on around us that matters, but what's going on in us that matters. It's not what happens to us that matters, but how we respond to it. It's not all this noise, but how we frame it and see it with the eyes of faith or unbelief. And so as we look to chapter 1 on Tuesday night and here tonight in review as we get to a couple key verses we find that there was a famine in the land of Israel. And the irony of it all is that there in the city of Bethlehem, which means city of bread, there's a famine. And uh, this fellow, uh, Elimelech, and his wife Naomi go out with their two adult boys. They cross the Jordan River and go back to the east, to the east side of the Jordan River to Moab, modern Jordan. And in doing so, we know from the total, totality of the, of the book that they sold their property. They had an inheritance. So they had an inheritance from previous generations. They sold their property, their home, everything. Because in Bethlehem, the house of bread, there was no bread. And desperate people do desperate things. So they were desperate. They sold their house, sold their property. All that they received is inheritance. And everything they had was their family relationships, and they moved to Moab. And there in Moab, they lived for 10 years. Amalek and his family, they went from the promised land to the land of Moab, where Chamosh, the bully god that we studied earlier, is the god that they worship. So they subjected themselves to those local ordinances and mandates and those people looking for food and looking to make it. That's the background to the story. And in that 10-year period, we're told in the book of Ruth here in chapter 1 that eventually Elimelech died, the husband, the primary breadwinner, Then both boys married women that were Moabite women, so they were unequally yoked, but they married these women. And in spite of different cultures, different ethnicities, different worldviews, completely different worldviews, because there's a big difference between Jehovah and Chamash, the bully guide. But yet they married. And that they had at least favorable relationships in their marriage is evident in that Naomi was very close with her daughter-in-laws, and they were very close with her. So that's interesting to the story. So whatever difficulties, the cultural differences and all that would have brought to those marriages, we know from the overall context of this book that Naomi and her daughter-in-laws loved each other very much and were very close. She had her big boy and her little boy. And they married these girls 
And there, they were a family unit, and there was love. Alas, both boys died as well. So Naomi had a 10-year period that was preceded by giving up everything she knew in Bethlehem, her house, her property, following her husband to Moab to submit to the magistrates and the people of that land, and their gods and their culture. And if you ever go to different cultures, you know what that's like. You just got to go with it. You're not going to change their culture. When you're American, you go to Chile. You're not there to make Chileans American. You're an American in Chile, all right, or Vietnam or whatever. Pick your country. So they're, they're adapting to the culture and figuring it out for 10 years. They get the wives, the daughter-in-laws. There's no offspring. There's no grandchildren. And then everyone dies. So Naomi has lost her husband. Both her sons... And there's no grandchildren. Like, this is grief upon grief upon grief during a famine that affected everybody. But in her personal life, this is what she went through. You talk about a 10-year period that's a rough go. This was what happened in her life. That's as dark as any 10-year period I could think of anyone having in, in their life. For a woman to lose her husband and both her sons. This is the introduction to this book, how it all begins there. And then she hears that there's bread in Israel. And so, driven by bread and the necessity of eating, she's going to go back to the region of Judah, to the town of Bethlehem, where she's from. And that's where we really come into the story now. So as she's getting ready to go, her two daughter-in-laws are with her, and they want to go with her to Israel. And she says, no, 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 no. I can't provide husbands for you. I can't do anything like that for you. Go back to your families. Find a good man. You're still young. You're still attractive. You can reload. You can reboot. You can, you can do this again. It's all good, you know, probably in the early 30s. You're, it's, go home. And the one of her daughter-in-law's chose to do that, but the other one didn't. And that's Ruth, and that's what brings us to the book. So we're going to look at a couple specific verses here in chapter 1, where she said to them that the Lord had, had been very hard on her, and the hand of the Lord was against her. That was verse 13. And then she says this, in verse 14, the narrative says this, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, because previously in this chapter they wept together. And Orpha. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi is encouraging the one daughter-in-law to do what the other daughter-in-law has done and just go back. Just go back. Naomi is, thinks God's hand's against her. She's going to go home and stand alone and face whatever she has to face because you still got to wake up when you're a widow, a divorcee, without a job, and lost a child, and you still got to wake up and find food to eat in the human experience. And that's what she's going to do. But Ruth said to her in verse 16, Entreat me, now, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she, that is Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. That is to stop speaking to discourage her from following. She accepted that Ruth was going to be with her, on this journey, and she couldn't convince Ruth to go back to her family and to her culture and all that. Ruth was all in with Jehovah, the God of Israel. 
all in. And that's really what we see in this story, this part of the story. Now, when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, she says to the women and the people of the community, they're also happy to see her come back after 10 years. It's like, you know, if you moved away from where we went to high school and where you got married and all that, and you moved away for 10 years, and you come home and you're broken. You got nothing. And everyone knows your husband died, your sons died, everyone feels bad for poor old Naomi, but they're happy to see you. And your name means pleasantness. That's what her name meant. And she said, let's make this clear right now as I've come back empty-handed. Because I don't own that house anymore over there. I don't own that land over there anymore. I don't own anything. I don't have a husband. I don't have either of my children. I've got my daughter-in-law with me who's a Moabitess. Don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara. Bitter is my name. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. Which is really interesting as we frame this opening act of this story. Because it is her life and her faith that Ruth is clinging on to. You see, we often say of a Christian, you might be the only Jesus anyone sees, particularly in cultures where there's very few Christians, like Pakistan or Afghanistan and those kind of places, Turkey, you know, where there's very few Christians. If you're the Christian, you're Jesus to those people. You represent Jesus. They come from maybe an Islamic background or a Hindu background or a Buddhist background, like in Japan where 1% of the population is Christian of any name, form, or subform, cult, or whatever. So they watch you in Tokyo or Osaka or whatever, and they watch how you are, and you're the one Christian, so you are Jesus to them. You know, Naomi was Jehovah to Ruth. God of the burning bush, Mount Sinai, the law, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Naomi is the representative of Jehovah to the Moabite's daughter-in-law. Now, there would have been other representations, the husband and the two sons, including Ruth's husband who passed away, which is a grief and a sorrow all of its own for Ruth to lose her husband in the early part of their life and their marriage in the first 10 years. But it's fascinating to me, and I sent everybody home Tuesday night and said, go home and think about this. How Ruth could be so drawn to the Lord, having lost her husband, having watched Naomi lose her husband and her two sons, say her name should be changed not from Abram to Abraham or Sarah to Sarah or Simon to Peter, where you get those name changes, but take me from being pleasant to bitter. She's going reverse on her name change, Right? How is it that Ruth says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and she was determined to follow her no matter what? This is a thought that we need to think about. Because as she's leaving Moab and everything she knows, because Ruth is the star of the story, uh, best supporting actress is Naomi, uh, up for that. But Ruth is the star. She's the lead actress in this story. So much of a lead actress, she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Luke and Matthew's gospel. That's what a star she is. She's a superhero of the Bible. But every step she takes away from Moab, from the east to the west, to Israel, she's leaving behind her parents, her siblings, her high school classmates, 
Everything she knew, her gods, her language, her idioms that languages have, the slangs that each language has in each culture. She's leaving everything she knows to go to everything she doesn't know by faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And Naomi is the representative of Jehovah, the God of Israel. So it only makes sense that Ruth would say to her, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I die. And she was determined and could not be dissuaded to go. And not only that, did you catch the phrase there? She clung to Naomi. Moses said before he died in Moab that you might cling to the Lord for he is your life and the length of your days. And here is Ruth clinging to Naomi, the one person that represents the God of Israel, Jehovah, and the son of the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, to her on that day. And she's not letting go. And you can't keep her from following into the promised land. You know, we read in the Second Corinthians that if anyone be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. This is very true for the woman Ruth. In the book of Acts, we see where they gave their life to the Lord in Ephesus and they burned the books of their sorcery. They wanted to disidentify with what their life had been and fully identify with what their life was and would be in Jesus Christ. That's what we have going on here. Ruth isn't just in going forward at Anaheim Stadium with great glory. She is all in like a Muslim nation where a Christian goes forward and they're threatened to throw acid on your face in Pakistan and to kill you. She is all in, completely upside down, right side up. Her whole world's changed. Her whole identity, everything. Because this is the shadow of things to come, the fullness of Christ. This is the Great Commission because Jesus said, you'll go to every nation, every tongue, tribe, and nation, preach the gospel to every creature. All nations. Jesus came to the Jew first, then the Gentile. And even how Rahab got saved when Jericho was being destroyed. And she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And she's in Hebrews. And she's in the book of James for her faith. The harlot. And now here, Ruth. Wow. It was this amazing grace. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. Because when she says, your God will be my God, she's saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Because everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. The fullness is Christ. So her confession of faith is really a confession looking toward Christ. As it says in Hebrews, they look toward the promises to come. It's amazing. It's all in. Old school style. Old Testament. New school style. Church of Jesus Christ, 2022. All in. We didn't come this far to 2022 to be half-hearted and halfway committed to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood of the cross is all in. Tongues of fire is all in. The Great Commission is all in. Weddings where you dance is all in. Funerals where you cry, it's all in. It's all in with Jesus Christ in 2022, like Ruth. Every step leaving the known to go toward the unknown. That's faith.
And that's what she had. She was all in. Your people will be my people. This is a very interesting phrase to think about in an application. Because those people would have been the people she was raised her entire life to hate and distrust. Which just shows you God can save anybody. We need to be reminded of that in January 2022. Because we put limits on what we think God can do. And we need to just remove those limits from our thinking. Your people will be my people. For a Moabite, for a Moabite is to switch allegiance from Chamosh the bully god and all of her upbringing, her entire family, to align with an Israelite, her mother-in-law, it would have just been um, an anathema, a curse to her family. Even now, many Jewish people, when they give their life to Christ, are considered dead by their family. And of course, in Muslim countries and in Muslim faiths, and then, you know, here in America, they've even had Muslims where their daughters or sons have given their life to Christ, and they have honor killings where they kill them. This is reality. And so for her to say, your people be my people, that's like when someone, you know, Jesus said, count the cost. And that's when someone hears the gospel and they know it's true. They don't care what their parents are going to say, their professor, their girlfriend, their fiance, anything. Their neighbors, their boss, they're all in. Because they know this is the truth. You know, there's people that mock the church on one day and go forward in a harvest crusade later on that same day. And the same people that are mocking are the people up there serving them, giving them booklets and praying for them and following up with them. My brother-in-law, John, used to mock Christians. When Jennifer got saved and we got married, he used to make fun of Christians. He had fun with it until his mom died. And we buried her on Good Friday. He came to Easter service at Bringle Terrace Park there in Vista on that Easter Sunday, 1996, 97. And he gave his life to Christ. And I baptized him the same day I baptized my daughter, Hannah, at Oceanside Pier, a month later. Don't underestimate in our minds as we look at 2022 the power of God to take people from mockers and destroyers and hecklers and antichrist to being saved, Saul to Paul, to, to, to having that transformation, to, to be willing, because so many people around us, they attack the church. They attack the church from their places of education, pseudo-education. They attack the church from their places as masters of the universe, and they want to destroy us and silence us. They do it in most of the world. It's a lot harder to do in America because we have good laws that protect us from them doing it, but they still try and do it. We can never, our journey is so short, our life's a vapor. And we can never underestimate that people who would attack the church can one day want to be with the church. And, and then they come into church culture. What's it like to go to church? What's it like to come to worship generation? Well, that guy playing the guitar is pretty gifted, man. Danny D, right? Like, like and, and so what do I do? do we, can I raise my hands? Do I, there weren't standing except the pastor and the person over there. So maybe I can sit, do I stand? What do I do? You know, like, I was raised Catholic. Sometimes they tell you, kneel, stand, kneel, stand. You know, I don't know. What do I do? I think we need a vision to realize that God, in the book of Acts, sent his messengers out 
with the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's power in the gospel. And people who would mock Paul would then receive his message and follow Paul to follow Jesus. And we are here 2,000 years later as evidence and testimony that if anyone be in Christ in new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. Now, some of us are raised in the church. Some of us were not at all. My wife was not raised in the church. She was raised in a very skeptical antichrist family. So in one day, she went from, you know, her professors at San Diego State and her family, how they were, her apostatized Catholic dad, to Sunday at Calvary Chapel and singing all those Maranatha songs of the early 80s. I didn't realize that when I met my father-in-law for the first time, I was everything he wished his daughter would never be married to. I was a surfer. I was a Christian. And I was going to be a pastor. And that first lunch date, he asked me, what's your plans with education? And I told him to go into ministry and serve the Lord. And I said, it's not too late for you. He goes, oh, it is. But it wasn't. Because the last three years of his life, I had incredible ministry with him. And I'm the last person he had cognizant relationship with before he stepped into eternity between me, him, and Jesus. 32 years later. God is in the business of saving people. And we think out there, it's the world versus the church, the church versus the world. Not so. We're going to always exist. We're praising Jesus in heaven. We're the 24 elders. The church isn't going anywhere. So all these masters of the universe that control all the media, do all the lying, cheating, stealing the things they do, it doesn't matter. They're going to come and go. Don't let them accept you. We're the church. Jesus loves the church. He's for the church. Church is super important. So would we say like, Ruth, your people will be my people. And this is something interesting for the body of Christ for the last two years. Because when we got... First round of COVID and all this stuff back in March, to almost two years ago now, we were forced out of our churches and told to stay home. And then as we began to get back together in churches, we found no matter where that church existed, Florida, Texas, California, New Mexico, no matter where that church existed, nowhere near the same amount of people came back. Nor the core group of people that were originally in that church came back. It was never the same. They always say if a church moves even one block, they lose half the church. Because people don't like change. It's true. Well, we didn't move, but government and mandates and everything moved us out. And we made it different. We did Zoom. We did live stream. We did all these things. And like, wow, church is kind of different. And then some smaller churches like us began to open back up because we fit the criteria when we're still trying to play the game when the field goal posts weren't moving and all that. And bigger churches had to wait, and some waited so long until they just died because they could never fulfill what these people wanted them to do. But no matter how you look at it, and pastors I've talked to in different states under different circumstances, nothing's the same. And the one thing I can say absolutely is about 25% to 30% of people that went to church two years ago do not go to church now. For various reasons. Some of them died and stepped into eternity. Why don't, you know, I mean, like, life happens. People die. More than a quarter million people die every day on planet Earth. And the medical field hasn't been as good because we've all focused on this, so all the cancer surgeries, all these other surgeries have been neglected, and these things have happened, and people go to the hospital, and you can't go visit them, and they die of loneliness, and there's no one there to encourage them, and they die on the side of a room, on a gurney. Yeah, we've all, like, a lot's happened. 
But do you love God's people? Are God's people your people? Do you want to be here with God's people? Do you want to join us online with God's people? Because some people cannot be here. I understand that. So I'm not saying we have to be together in person. But if you can't be together in person, do you want to be together in person? See, that's the real question. Because there's people that watch every service online here or watch every service with Pastor Brian or Rick Warren or whoever, you know, Bill Welsh or Joel Osteen, whatever. There are people that watch every service and they can't wait to tune in, worship the Lord with these people that they're connected with to watch that service, take notes, receive it. They, they want to be with God's people. Your people are my people. And that's a good thing, even if they can't be here. That's a very good thing. It's like David wanting to build the temple. And God said, you know, you're not called to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build the temple. But as much as in your heart, it's a good thing. So if people can't be with us at church for various reasons, we understand that. But do you want to be with us? Do you want to watch Sam teach online? With Scott Cunningham back from being sick to come and lead us in worship? Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to hear the voice of the Lord with God's people on that day? Tonight? Tuesday? See, she wanted to be with God's people. She wanted to identify with the people of covenant and the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.